and welcome back to the India podcast from the Santa Barbara Independent, giving you what's happening in Santa Barbara. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of the Indie, and I'm here this week with Charles Donnellan, Executive Arts Editor for the Independent, and we're talking about the SBMA Museum renovation. Hi, Charles. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Molly. Good to see you. So how has SBMA been able to stay open while at the same time reshape the layout of the museum? Well, they've had to do this seismic retrofit for some time. And, uh, you know, when you undertake a project of that scale, you don't want to leave anything undone because it's it's really complicated and serious. So they not only did they they fix the building in terms of its uh, earthquake proofing, they also redid all the systems, you know, the heating, ventilation, storage, security, the loading and unloading, the freight elevator, all of that is new. But they decided back when they were undertaking this project, they looked at statistics from other museums that had closed completely to the public for periods of a year or more. And what they discovered was, you know, that that just didn't, that didn't bode well for getting people back in the building once things were finished. It seems that if people get the idea that you're closed, it's harder to get people back coming in once you're back open. So they stayed open, well, not during the whole part of the quarantine, but even during much of, of the quarantine and the you know, reservation, small group basis. They're back with the uh, fully renovated gallery spaces, much more room for contemporary art, much more room for photography collection they're really strong in, and a whole different kind of experience in terms of the way that you move around inside the museum. What have been some of the major changes made to the museum? Have there been any statement architectural pieces that have added to the atmosphere? Well, even just walking by right now, you'll see that they've changed the way that handle the signage on the front of the museum. And they've brought everything down a notch, down a level, and it feels much more integrated into State Street, which is actually just a lucky coincidence that it's also, this is now, State Street's now the pedestrian mall. So that area on the corner of State Street and Anamapamu, which was actually not a great situation for a long time, just the, the way the steps and the street met seemed to create an island that was uh, dominated by homeless people. It feels a little bit more open now. The signage is better. And the whole entrance has been rethought. So inside the State Street front door, you're going to find the Ludington Court, which has been there all along. It's kind of a signature feature of the building, but it's um, it's been thoroughly remodeled. And... Uh, The signature piece of the court is a giant male statue from Rome called the Lansdowne Hermes. He's back and he's bigger than ever, standing on a big plinth with seating around it. And then behind him, there's a beautiful new grand staircase. And I'd say that in terms of architectural gestures, that's the the most noticeable change. There are a lot of subtle things going on. That uh, I think improved the experience, but the um, replacement of the Lansdowne Hermes, the remodeling of Ludington Court, and the grand staircase leading to the new contemporary gallery at the back, those are the things that people are going to notice. So the history of the museum begins with Wright Ludington. Can you tell me a bit about the collection that he began curating decades ago? Yeah, this man, Wright Saltus Ludington, who uh, 
lived in Montecito for most of his life, is really a key figure, not just in the history of the museum, but really the cultural history of Santa Barbara. He moved here in order to take over an estate called Valverde in Montecito that his uh, father had actually bought and then left him. And in the process of remodeling that and having Lockwood de Forest, a very famous landscape architect do a beautiful Roman garden for him. He became interested in collecting antiquities. And he was one of three wealthy Californians who bought from the Lansdowne collection, which was the most important collection in England of Greek and Roman statues. The other two buyers were William Randolph Hearst, who was buying for his home in Bel Air, but also for his uh, Hearst Castle, because you have to have Greek statues, I guess you have Castle. And then J. Paul Getty, who was buying for his villa in Malibu, which is now, you know, the Getty Villa. And um, actually the Lansdowne Hermes, the, the sculpture that's on view now in the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, belonged to Wright Ludington. It was in his garden in Montecito for 25 years. And then it was actually when he moved to his second Montecito estate, Asperides, he brought the statue inside and he built a, a special platform for him in his living room. So uh, yeah, he made a real, made a real statement with this uh, piece. Eventually it goes on loan and then is granted along with the other pieces in his collection um, from Greece and Rome to the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, along with a lot of really great modern or what at the time were contemporary works by people like Picasso and Matisse. And uh, what distinguishes Wright Ludington from these other uh, gentlemen who were involved in the uh, competition looting of ancient uh, art. And uh, I think the thing that distinguishes him, well, first of all, he was gay and uh, fairly open about that at a time when this was not a very popular move. And uh, Montecito seemed to be a pretty tolerant place for him. He uh, entertained a lot. He had many, many uh, well-known artists and writers come and stay with him. And he really was uh, an extraordinary figure in terms of the cultural history of Santa Barbara. But he also had this great eye because unlike William Randolph Hearst or J. Paul Getty, he didn't stop at collecting ancient statues. He liked modern art and he could see that Picasso and Matisse and people like this were going to be great. And as a result, when his collection came in to the uh, first to be loaned and then eventually to be granted to the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, not only was he able to give the museum a really important collection of antiquities, he was able to give the museum the kind of collection of 19th and 20th century European painting that has made it, you know, one of the most distinguished museums in the country. So a lot of the art pieces have been rearranged to fit the new layout. What can visitors expect when they visit the newly renovated museum? Well, first of all, you're going to see a large number of works hung in what is called a salon style in the Ludington Court, which means that there's going to be pictures up and down the walls, some of them probably a little higher than you can really see, but it's a dramatic way to enter the whole museum that's coming in from the State Street front doors. But then up the stairs and uh, throughout the galleries, you will find 
a higher percentage of photography and even uh, new media, digital media on display on a permanent continuing basis than ever before. The museum has a strong collection of photography and you know, it has always done big photography shows, but they've tended to be um, bookended you know, in terms of the time. They're up for a certain amount of time and then they go back into storage. And the idea now is that people can come and see every aspect of the museum's permanent collection in some form or another on a continuing basis. So that's one thing to look forward to. Overall, you know, they're, they're working hard to keep a balance. A lot of major museums with, you know, what, what they call encyclopedic collections, meaning they've got a lot of different kinds of things, have tipped towards having a higher percentage of contemporary work on view over the last, say, 10 to 15 years, because that is popular. It seems to be what draws the public. But, you know, as we know, the, the value of a museum is not just in, you know, the things you expect to see or the things that are popular. It's in the full spectrum of things that you can learn from and learn about. So, for example, the museum also has a really strong collection of Asian antiquities. And all that material is going to be on display in a much more friendly way than ever before. The Asian art used to mostly be in a balcony space that was around Ludington Court, and that space is no more. But instead, they have a much larger gallery without the kind of lighting issues that occur in a balcony. And you'll be able to see some fantastic examples of ancient Chinese, Tibetan, Indian, Japanese art that have been displayed before, but probably never um, consistently or continuously. Well, I'm looking forward to the big reveal. As always, thanks so much for speaking with me, Charles. It can be seen starting on Sunday the 15th. Thank you, Molly. Now I'm here with Leslie Dynaberg, contributing writer for The Independent, discussing her piece on active aging. This is the second year that Leslie has been able to do this active aging section of the issue, which is a bunch of stories on elderly facilities and workshops. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. So a very interesting project going on right now is the VNA Health Project, where people have access to free community resources. Can you tell me a bit about this project? Absolutely. So it's called the VNA Health Loan Closet. And basically, it's pretty amazing. The VNA Health has been serving Santa Barbara County since 1908. And part of their charter is actually to be able to provide people with loans of medical equipment that they might need. And so at their facility, they have this whole section that has all kinds of equipment, everything from wheelchairs, crutches, you know, the little scooters that people use, walkers, shower seats, all kinds of things. And it's open to anyone in the community and it's all free. And one of the coolest things that the people over there were telling me about is that it, you know, it's not just people that can't afford medical equipment. It's also people come in there and they want to try, you know, like sometimes it takes a few tries to find the right wheelchair that's the right combination of power. And then, you know, something that you can 
put into your car easily or, you know, different lengths of arms, you know, work with different kinds of equipment. So it's really a cool service and it's available to everybody. And they also do a really nice job of giving instructions. So that was some of the feedback I got that was really nice is, you know, sometimes if your spouse or somebody has an injury and you go and get all this stuff, you don't necessarily remember how to use it. And they give people written instructions and they're sort of available as a resource if you need them. So in almost a call to action, can you share with listeners what the volunteer ombuds program is like? Yes, absolutely. And this is something that was brand new to me. I didn't know anything about it, but Basically, the state of California has a law that there's supposed to be an ombudsman program for any kind of skilled nursing facilities and residential care facilities for the elderly. So ombudsmen are people that come in without, you know, you don't know when they're coming in, basically. And they're there to help advocate for the residents and the people that work at facilities um, and help work out any problems or anything that's going on. And they're kind of the eyes and ears for those people. And so it's a really cool program, but they really need volunteers. So right now in Santa Barbara County, we have 14 skilled nursing facilities and 119 residential care facilities. And there's only, I think it was 14 people at the moment visiting all those facilities. So we really need more volunteers. And so part of why we're trying to get the word out in the independent is to try to get more people to dedicate their time to it. So we focused more on the physical aspects of active anti-aging, but keeping the mind sharp is just as important in many ways. So can you tell me a bit about Vista's learning program that they've developed? So VISTA's Lifelong Learning, which is it's a nonprofit volunteer-run organization, really just dedicated to keeping people's brains sharp. And also, especially when it's not the pandemic, the social aspect has proved to be really important in overall health and well-being. Part of that is interacting with other people. So they run a really impressive program year-round of all kinds of topics. So for example, last year, one of the things that they did was something called food that changed the world. And it was all about food, which of course we're all very interested, but looking at it in social and political and economic ways, just a whole host of interesting, intelligent ways to, to look at a topic that you know most of us don't think about in that way all the time. One of the more popular courses, I guess, was called Unpacking the Dementia Epidemic. They have book clubs, they have a memoir writing class, all kinds of things. And then they also do social activities. So a big part of every class is they, they have a coffee break so people can socialize. And I guess when they were doing it for the last year and a half on Zoom, they would still have like a social time where they would put people in breakout rooms. And impressively, a lot of these seniors learned how to do Zoom and, and continue to do it. But I think they're really excited to be back in person for the fall. 
one of the innovative programs that we have a story about that I thought was very cool was um, Vista Del Monte in their memory care unit, which is called Summer House. They do drumming circles with their residents. And according to the enrichment director, Helene Helstern, who I interviewed, the drumming circles are among one of the most popular and you know highest percentage of participants of any of the programs that they do there. It's similar to the drumming circles that you see people do down at West Beach. The sound waves and the sounds of the drums are very powerful for people. And apparently it's very calming and it's one of their strategies that they actually not only do regular drumming circles, but if they're doing another activity and it's just, you know, not clicking with people, they bring out the drums and it's, you know, it's always an activity that sort of centers people and, you know, makes them get in touch with the body and the, the rhythm and really a great way to use that for those people in the memory care. So for Vista's lifelong learning program and based upon the people that you spoke with, what has been the overall impact of the program thus far? One of the interesting things that I found talking to various people who work with seniors and particularly seniors that are having um, you know, cognitive difficulties or that are in memory care facilities or you know, memory care is that they're learning all the time about new and innovative ways to be able to to help those people and to reduce the amount of medication that they're using. That was one of the things that I was really impressed with um, interviewing the director of Villa Alomar, which he's the director, um, Mitch Leitner is the director at both Villa Alomar and Alexander Gardens, which are two different senior care homes. And he has this whole sensory integration program where they found that if People that have memory care issues have sounds and light and smell and um, different things to stimulate their senses. They actually need less medication to keep them calm and happy and, you know, sort of able to function with the other residents and the people that they come into contact with. So it's very interesting just learning about all the different things that people are doing because we're still learning a lot about dementia and Alzheimer's and all of that. It, you know, it was a really fun <laughs> section to write. And one of the things overall, I mean, I wrote eight different stories and I was very heartened by just the compassion and the enthusiasm and the patience of all of the people working in, in this area, uh, you know, in both the health and the fitness and the wellness sectors. I was very impressed by the warmth and just the their heads and their hearts are in a really good place. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story with me, Leslie. As always, it was nice speaking with you again. Absolutely. Thanks, Molly. If you'd like to check out more of this week's issue, head to www.independent.com. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.